Alrighty, here we go. My name is Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is our very first Friday non-conversations edition, sweetie. Yeah, it's our extra, extra. That's right. Extra, so extra. Extra, extra. extra. Listen all about That's it. That's right. Um, so Zen Parenting Radio, that's a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. We have three daughters, ages 7, 10, and 11, and our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, sweetie, to become a better you. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. And lastly, we have a screening coming up on Wednesday. Correct. What is the screen? Uh, March 11th. It is the mask, uh, the mask you live in, and it is um, about re-understanding, or if not re-understanding, revisiting the whole concept of um, masculinity in our country and how it's really not working for our boys or our men and what we can do about it. So I highly recommend it for those of you who have sons. Um, I highly recommend it for those of you who have daughters. Um, And I also recommend it for men. Um, Todd and I have... we didn't make a bet on this, but he was really hoping that the majority of people who would come would be men because it's really about them. But as you, <laughs> as you may guess, 98% of the people who bought tickets are women. <laughs> which, Guys, where are you? Which when I say that, I am so happy you are coming, ladies. This yeah, is not about you. This is about that. If we could have anything we want, it would we be want a, mixed. a solid mix. Yeah. But really, you know, this is about sons and fathers, and so it, it cannot be more appropriate for, for dads. dads. Yeah, so it's, and because yeah. you know, mo- some of our other documentaries, it's you know about education or whatever, or girls or focus on women, and this is all about men. And I've seen who has bought tickets too. Now a lot of people have bought two, so it could be so a they're date bringing night. their husbands. Yep, yep. But I don't know. We'll find out on Wednesday. We will. And, you know, it's just one of those opportunities is you can come in and even be skeptical. You don't have to say, well, I yeah. don't, you know, just come in to see. Come in and see how screwed up we are. <laughs> come in and say, these two don't know what they're talking about. And that because we are going to have a, a little discussion after the movie. Sure. A short one. Because yeah, short the just, movie. Just a few hours. Like, no. Somebody asked me, how long will I be there? And um, the movie is about an hour and 15, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And so you'll be out of there by nine. We won't keep you past two. It'll be seven to nine tops. Give or take. Yeah. So um, again, York Movie Theater, you can get tickets at kathycadams.com or zenparentingradio.com. Click events. Oh, I forgot. Uh, we did. Um, I forgot to mention this on our last, so- last show. This is uh, our feel-good story of the day, sweetie. Oh, let's hear it. It comes from Spring Valley, New York. A husband and wife thought to be Rockland's country- county's oldest married couple will celebrate their birthdays this weekend. That's the weekend that just passed. Okay. With a combined age of 212. Wow. Uh, I can't spell the guy's first name. It's D-U-R. You can't spell it or you can't say it? Uh, I can spell it. I can't. But you don't eat it. Pronounce it. You don't spell it, son. You eat it. <laughs> uh, Duranord, D-U-R-A-N-O-R-D. And the reason it's obvious that his name is hard to pronounce is because the guy was born hundred and Eight years ago. Wow. So he's 108 and she's 100. Gene and is, is um, 105. 105. And they've been married for 82 years. Oh, that's gorgeous. He studied law and lived in Port-au-Prince. They, the couple tied the knot in November of 1932. Wow. The same month, FDR was elected president in a landslide victory over... Um, FDR, not Wallace. Who? 
Is Wallace even a president? <laughs> no, no, he wasn't a president. He oh, didn't win. That's right. My yeah. whole... I, I would have been impressed if you would have gotten this. I who, was actually who was it? Herbert Hoover. Who oh, went... Hoover. Well, he beat. I should have known that because he beat Hoover because Hoover was our president in the Depression, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, FDR came in with the New Deal. Yeah, FDR is like, uh, hey, do you really want to reelect this clown? And you know why I remember that so well? Why? Obviously, I couldn't pull it up Because you had a good history teacher? Me. No, it's because of the musical Annie. Oh. Because in Annie, uh, there is a lot of people dealing with the Depression, and there's a song about Hubert, Herbert Hoover in it. I think all questions can be answered through the viewing of Annie, the musical. That's right. Most can. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom Is that a question, though, sweetie? Or is that tomorrow. an answer? Tomorrow. Um, I don't know. Um, and that was when Groucho Marx performed on radio for the first time. So Wallace... So think about that. Think, think what was going on when you and I got married. 2000 and... What was it? Uh, when did we get married? We got married in 2000... JC was born in 2003. We got married in 2002. So 9-11 just happened. Yes. A year before that, yes, give or take. a year before. It, it happened... We got married in April, and it happened in September of that year. Yeah. And we... And this guy, these two folks got married, and Groucho Marx was on the radio for the first time. That's crazy. Yes. It's hard for me to, like, fathom that. Right. So God bless those two. Yes. I wish they would call in with a uh, with a How I Have Your Back story wouldn't that be lovely i i think that they would just say just listen it's to beyond each other. words yes. that's right where do you start where do you start all right so anyways we are talking about today um about hawking we are but can i go back to something sure we're go gonna move on to that but i was just gonna say and you know how i can remember wallace is from forrest gump See, everything I do in life is through entertainment. Ah. Because remember when Forrest is – that's the the whole segregation thing. I do. And Wallace is the guy standing there. Yeah. And he ran for president. Yes, he did. And then he ended up getting shot. Yes, he did. And then here's a crazy little connection. Then Gary Sinise, who's Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Lieutenant Gump, Dan, he, ice cream. He ends up playing George Wallace in an HBO Maybe it's not HBO, but he did a George Wallace miniseries, mm-hmm. and Angelina Jolie, Jolie was his wife, hmm. and she won her first Emmy for that. Really? So, so how about that? It was a that? TV show? It was like a made-for-TV yeah, made movie TV special? Made-for-TV movie kind of thing. Interesting. So, and and uh, Lieutenant Dan has a band, I think, called Lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan. Dan's band. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan's band. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan, ice cream. I see their posters sometimes around the city. Like, they play here sometimes. Is that Mr. Gump? <laughs> Mrs. Gump? Okay, so now I'm ready. All right. What's, uh, what's, uh, first okay. of all, I, I feel unprepared to talk about Stephen Hawking because I know very little about him. Well, let, let me just say this. I was with my parents last week at lunch, and my mom said to me, do you know what Stephen Hawking said is our most um, – what immediate threat that we're facing that he finds most challenging. So for those of you who don't know who Stephen Hawking is, he's a British theoretical physicist. Who isn't? And cosmologist. Not apologist, but ologist. Cosmologist. And he, for those of you who were big into the movies this year, The Theory of Everything, which starred Eddie Redmayne, who actually won the Academy Award this year, was about Stephen Hawking. No, we're not going to boo him. I'm, I'm booing him um, because Michael Keaton didn't win. Right, but... But I haven't seen the movie yet. So after I see the movie, I might do a little bit of... Yeah, you got to reserve your judgment. True. Because what... Uh, sweetie, I like to prejudge. I know. It's what I do. Well, and I told you that Michael Keaton won the Independent Spirit Best Actor. 
So that's <laughs> it's good enough. When you told me that this morning, like good news, he won the Independent <laughs> Spirit Award. I've never even heard of that. It's a, it's an award, and he's just happy to be there. He was chewing his gum. I'm just happy okay. to be here. Hope I can help the ball club. That's right. Whoever knows that movie line, send me. Uh, I thing. know it. You do? Yes. It's bold. Can I Were say you it? about to swear? No. Oh, Can I sure, say, it? say it? It was Bull Durham. Nice job, sweetie. Thank you. Well done. Um, so here's what I was going to say. So that's who Stephen Hawk. No. So The Theory of Everything came out this year. It was about his first marriage because he, he and his wife eventually divorced and he married somebody else. But it was about his diagnosis with ALS. And it's just. And that's Lou Gehrig's disease, right? Yes. Which it's amazing. Is that the ice bucket? Uh, yes. Disease? Okay. It's amazing that this man is alive, yes. and, and it's amazing what this man has done. Right. You know, um, but so this is why these words that I'm about to read to you are so influential, and so I thought something that we should discuss because again, my mom had read this article about Stephen Hawking and said, "Do you know what the thing is that he is most worried about? What the most immediate threat is?" To our culture. What do you think? You you read this already, didn't you? I did, but I'll pretend I didn't. Okay. I'll say the most immediate threat is terrorism. Which many people would assume, which is a piece of it. Right. Okay? Because what he said... Reality TV. <laughs> that's what I would say. Yeah, well, that's a piece of it, too. Yeah. He said the most immediate threat, the human... Fa- Here's his quote. The human failing I would most like to cor- correct is aggression. Mm-hmm. He thinks aggression is destroying our culture. Yeah. And he, um, let's see, he said, it may have had survival advantage in our caveman days to get more food, territory, or a partner with whom to reproduce, but now our aggression threatens to destroy us all. I agree with it 100%. I agree with Dr. Hawking about that. And um, people will be like, well, that's how, you know, let's talk about boys for a right. second. That's how, that's how we're built. Boys right. will be boys. Right. And we know that that is there are ways to modify the makeup of our brain as a result of our discussion from this week's earlier show that we have the ability to change absolutely beyond our DNA makeup of flight or flight or fight or flight yeah but that's that is like a piece of our brain that is reptilian brain right fight or flight. I'm glad we have it when the tigers are chasing us. Right. But because that doesn't happen very much, it's kind of one of those places that we – it's like our autopilot place yeah. when really it's unnecessary to be in that amount of fear and aggression. And this is a parenting show. And the way that we change – like let's talk about it from an evolution standpoint. How do we evolve beyond the aggressive behavior that Dr. Hawking and you are speaking about? And the way we do that is we change ourselves. That's right. So we can role model that for our kids. Right. So then they're going to have kids in 20 or 30 years. And then all of a sudden they take what we did and move a step beyond that, whatever it is. Maybe it's extreme pacifism or something like that. I don't know. Well, we have to move with our planet. Like our planet turns, right? It does. It spins on an axis. So it's constantly moving and changing. Our bodies, do you know every seven years – 
every cell in our body has been turned over and changed. I've heard that a million times, and I believe it, but I don't understand it. Well, our cells are constantly recreating. But they're yeah, dying and recreating. Right. They're, they die, and then they're reborn. They don't. Every single one doesn't die at the same time. Right. It's over time. So in seven years, your body is all brand new cells. Yeah, I guess that's... I mean, I'm trying to think that through. So, like, I look different than I did yes, seven years absolutely. ago. Like, whatever. My face droops. I don't know. Whatever it is. And so I guess that makes sense. Our cells... Uh, and and I think the definition of aging is we constantly have new cells being born. Always, always. But as we get older, they get born less and less frequently. So when you're born, you know, they regenerate, whatever, a million times a second or whatever. And then you get to when you're in your middle age, that plateau goes the other way and you're no longer, not even middle age, probably in your 20s, you start um, uh, shrink. you know, everything gets smaller, everything gets tighter, everything gets worse. Or does it? Well, worse That's is... That's a story. Worse is, um, you know what I mean. You can't do... Slower? Slower, weaker. Right. But and the reason I'm stopping you is because that would be paradoxical to what we talk about on... The, not paradoxical. Yeah, it would... No, it would be the opposite is that you're saying it, it gets worse Let, and you're saying aging is let's bad. Let's say I used to be able to bench press 225 pounds, mm-hmm. which was always my goal, but I never got that high. If I tried to do that, let's say my max was 200. If I tried to do that now, I would be at 160 or whatever, whatever mm-hmm. my bench would be. Could I overcome that? Yes, you could. Yes, I could. But all things being equal and I didn't do anything else extra to modify that, then... Possibly. I, uh, I hear what you're saying. Okay. I just wanted to correct that okay. things get and worse. And I kind of take it in a different direction. So go ahead. So anyway, um, what was I talking about? Where was I? You were in the basement. Oh, I know what I was talking about. I was saying – we started by saying every seven years the, right. the cells change and that um, we have to decide what we're going to carry over with us mm-hmm. that worked but then let go of what we don't need anymore. Right. And what we don't need is the crazy amount of aggression that we still have. And again, I'm to, to keep quoting um, Dr. Hawking here, I'm going to say he also said – Hawking chose aggression and warned that nuclear war could end civilization and and possibly the human race. We need to replace aggression with empathy, which brings us together in a peaceful, loving state, he said. Mm -hmm. So you see how, you know, we question – we sometimes do things the same way over and over again and we say because that's how it used to be done. And what what is difficult for people to swallow and embrace and be open to – is we're supposed to change and evolve, is that the aggression that we needed even maybe 50 years ago or 100 years ago isn't necessary. Can I play devil's advocate? Please. Because I agree with you, but to play devil's advocate. But my aggressiveness is what got me to where I am. I became a better wrestler in high school because I was really aggressive. I became a better sales rep because I was aggressive and chasing that next sale. I... um, Part of my success is due to the aggressive nature of how I'm made. Well, let me say this, is that, again, you're using the word to describe something that you could replace that word and say persistence. Mm-hmm. So aggression is kind of like that's all about the definition of aggression. True. I think the aggression that he's talking about is overt uh, violence, violence yeah. or um, maybe cruelty or just fear mm-hmm. that we all carry, you know, like the the quote in here has about nuclear war that we're actually willing to blow ourselves up right. to prove who's stronger. Right. I mean, come on, right. you know, th- this is 
crazy, yet we all kind of get on board with it well, because we don't see another way. Well, and this, uh, I hope this falls into place with what you're talking about, but a lot of parents will tell us, well, boys are just more... Uh, Aggressive. Well, they'll say they're they're more prone to violence. Ah. And, and I w- would ask the parent to reframe that, like, no, maybe their DNA is that they're a little more aggressive, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily more violent. And that's going back to what the example you used, aggression in terms of being... And maybe we should just, to make this conversation easier, mm-hmm. just talk about when, when Stephen Hawking is talking about aggression, mm-hmm. he's talking about how we can be cruel to each other, violent to each other, hard on each other, not empathetic or compassionate toward each other. Right. And that what you're talking about with boys is they play harder, yeah. they may take more risks. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's like we want to ha- differentiate words so we're not, you know, falling into each other. Right. Um, but that the truth is, is that Right now, what our country needs to create change is more empathy. And maybe it wasn't like that before, but that's what we need now. We need to start understanding that being compassionate toward people creates change. You know what people don't trust, Todd? What? That peace brings change. They really believe that you have to be aggressive or overly assertive or in control to create change. And we have examples of how... Peace did create change. Absolutely. Very we have good. two wonderful examples. Gandhi and MLK. Mm-hmm. And then what people, short-sighted people say, well, Hitler, he was aggressive and it took aggression to blah, 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 blah. That's always to, that's always the counterpoint. You mean to overtake Hitler? Yeah, if we let him keep on doing what he was doing. Right. But see, there's also a way to reframe that story because the reason that we had to go to find to, – to figure out this this situation was because mm. of empathy and compassion for the people he was harming. Or what if Hitler's parents were empathetic and were good parents? I'm willing he to, wouldn't have never been I'm willing that to way. bet if he grew up in a loving household – he would not have made the same exactly. decision. So here's the thing is we can't take this kind of commentary in isolation right. and say, well, you know, then if we wouldn't have gone to war, well, you know, we start to get into like dissecting something when we need to look at the bigger picture right. of how can we personally make a change. And this can be within our homes with our children. This can be within ourselves. This can be within the world. Is the more we can practice empathy and compassion toward ourselves, and because we've got to start with ourselves because we've got to know what it feels like. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what it feels like to be compassionate toward yourself, it's very hard to give it to somebody. Yeah, and hard to teach it to your kids. It's hard to teach something you don't practice. It's hard to teach something you don't feel. It's hard to role model something you aren't doing. Right. <laughs> that doesn't even make it's sense. It's almost impossible. It's impossible. that Those don't go together. I'm role modeling something I don't do. It's the do what I say, not what I do. Exactly. So I just liked this jumping off point about Stephen Hawking saying this because when you think of all the things he could say, you know, when asked this question, what are we facing? What's our biggest crisis? And here's this man who's an absolute genius who knows everything (laughs) and has, you know, brought us an understanding of science that we never had. Mm -hmm. He's saying we just have to stop being so aggressive, yeah. and we have to start being more empathetic. Because he could, s- he could have said, well, "Let's st- stop being more violent." But the violence is the surface part of exactly. it. Exactly, the aggressiveness is the source. Layers, layers, and layers. So then, aggressive. So what's even below the aggression? It's pe- self hatred. Yeah, people not liking. If themselves. you feel like you don't belong, if you feel like there's something innately wrong with you, then you are in pain. And we all know that hurt people hurt people. That's just what happens. When you feel – when you are in pain and you feel hurt either by the way you treat yourself or by the way others treated you and if you 
are in constant pain, usually it's because you were in a situation where someone told you either energetically or literally verbally that you were not worth anything. Um, out of the millions of quotes that we talk about in the show and we share with each other forever, I think hurt people, hurt people is one of the most powerful quotes you ever want to come by. It is. Because whenever we get triggered by somebody that upsets us, whether it's in our own lives or if it's on the news, if we can, and this is empathy, if you can understand that the reason that that person is doing harm is because somebody did them harm, it gives you the opportunity to be a little more compassionate to that person. It does. And this goes into um, Don Miguel Ruiz, Ruiz's uh, four agreements, which the second agreement is don't take everything personally or mm. don't take anything personally. Right. And what he means by don't take anything personally is understand that when someone is angry with you and yelling at you and making you the source of their pain, it's not about you. Yeah. It's about them. Especially if you're in like a I, – I talk to my college students about the four agreements and uh, many of them are in a customer service kind of job because they're in college, yeah. you know, and so they're kind of doing that, you know, work, you know, those kind of basic level jobs. Yeah. And they always talk about when a customer comes in or like a waitress, you know, a customer comes in and isn't very nice and I try and make them feel better and I can't make them change and they're mean to me. They walked in there with all that baggage right. that has nothing to do with you. Now, of course, you can take your pain and put it on their pain, and then you've just got this huge combustible, awful thing where, where you are, start exchanging words and mm -hmm. pointing fingers or, you know, punches get thrown. When pain builds on other pain, it, it becomes, becomes violence. Yeah, it spirals out of control. Exactly. Violence either emotionally or physically. So the shift that we talk about is take a breath. Yeah. You know, whether it's in that moment or every morning you take 10 seconds to just breathe mindfully, create some space in between somebody who's doing something to upset you, whether it's your two-year-old or your boss or your husband or your wife. If you can just step outside of it and know that it isn't about you, instead that this person is struggling with their, struggling own, with their own things, then maybe you can find a little bit of compassion. And as we know, if you can remain calm, you dissipate their anger. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that they all of a sudden become a lovely, friendly person and they give you a hug, but you don't increase their anger. They might actually end up leaving that situation going, I don't know why I feel better, but I do, because you brought calm. So especially this is important as a parent, is if you have a child who's angry, getting angry at them for being angry will not change the situation. As a matter of fact, it will. Make it huge. Make it's it like worse. throwing logs on a fire, putting, right. you know, putting, what's that spray stuff you put on a fire? That smelly stuff? Gasoline? It's, but it's in that spray thing. It oh, might be gasoline. Lighter fluid? Lighter fluid. <laughs> That's that. It's like putting lighter, lighter fluid on the flame. Like you don't, you, you're basically going up again, you know, again, you're hitting a brick wall. You're making it 10 times worse. But if you can find calm in yourself, you may not change the other person, but you're going to decrease the level of energy around something. Mm -hmm. And let's just say it has nothing to do with the other person. You just don't get involved. Right. Just You don't have to play. Yeah. There was something I put on Facebook the other day about um, – you know, other people like to bring their drama, but you don't have to be a participant right. or a viewer of their drama. Right. You don't have to engage. You don't have to – you don't have to get involved. You know, there are people that will call me and say, can you believe this is happening? Or I'm so angry about this. And I'll listen and be empathetic and respectful toward their situation. But I'm not going to pick it up. Right. I'm not going to now carry around that anger. I, the, I don't have enough space for that. You know, that, that could drag me down, that one idea. So, again, 
it all starts at that really basic Sweetie, level. Sweetie, just because some people are fueled by drama doesn't mean you have to attend the performance. There you go. That was it. Cheryl Richardson. Cheryl Richardson. Um, so I loved that because people love – people. a lot of people's personality is just based on drama. Yeah. Like they don't think – what they they're have, familiar with. They don't think they have anything worthy to share unless they have a dramatic story about what happened to them. And a lot of times the story is so old (laughs) and outdated, but they keep repeating it and regurgitating it and making it turn different ways. Like, go ahead. Well, I mean, we've had um, people in our own lives that they're not good with peace. Peace doesn't serve them. Yeah. So it will be created not because they want it. It's because... They are familiar with drama. Right. And it's uncomfortable to have anything other than what you're familiar with. They don't trust peace. Yeah. They they are in – this is where um, all of Brene Brown's research really helped me because a lot of times when people feel peace or things are calm, they're so uncomfortable with that emotion of joy or feeling calm that they create a problem to focus their energy there because the joy is more uncomfortable than the drama. Sweetie, all I'm saying is... So instead of creating, if you're one of those people, because I kind of like peace. I do too. Well, but you've practiced peace. See, you've learned to feel peace and be at peace with peace. Am I ever going to be at peace with the idea of me being at peace with peace? Maybe you could give a piece of your peace (laughs) to other people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, but don't you think you have practiced feeling that sense of peace like that's what mindfulness is I'm getting there is leaning into joy and, and understanding that joy is fleeting and, and but I, so is everything else and how do you do that you do that by taking a breath you do that by praying a lot of people pray that gives them peace you do that by when you are perturbed by something journal it out vent to a friend who can handle it don't spread it all over the world go to a yoga class go play basketball do do something that brings you that sense of of, of calm. calm. Dissipate that energy because yeah. as we know, emotions, energy and motion, when an anger or something comes through you that's uncomfortable, you have to figure out a way to release it even if it's just by acknowledging it. Let's come up with some more tools for people right now okay. without thinking about it. Okay. Take a bath. Oh, I love taking baths. Take a shower. Take a walk. Read a book. Um, like I said, I'm going to say it again, is journal, write about it. And don't, don't do a narrative journal. Like, don't worry about someone reading it. Just write words. Draw and a picture. Draw a picture. Talk to your spouse if they're a good listener. Look at a tree. Yeah. I think that's my favorite one. I know. You want to be peaceful, just sit in the awe of a tree. How about pet a furry friend? Like my bunny. Yeah. Like Smokey the, the rabbit. Smokey doesn't, Smokey doesn't worry. We had a long, we did our men's retreat last weekend and uh, we had a long nature hike. And I kind of had, I I got to this because it was a long day and it was really cold out and we had the fire on in the lodge. I'm like, wow, before the, before the walk, I'm like, God, that couch looks really enticing right now. You're like, do I really want to walk? You know what? I'm going to do it. So 10 of us went out there and we did it and it was, it's cold and there's snow, but there's birds and there's trees and we walked through this marsh and it was... I got to this kind of weird spiritual place because I didn't I wasn't answering any questions from any of my children. 
we, I wasn't talking with the group. We were all kind of, it was an individual walk and it was quite magical. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that, the only way to put yourself in a position to have a magical experience is to get up off of the couch and do something like that. Do something different. And, and, and I'm, I'm admitting to the listeners that it would have been easier for me to just go back to the lodge and sit there and chat with the guys. Mm -hmm. But you got to get up and do it. You got to make an effort. Well, you know, something I learned about the brain a while back was that the brain, I think Dr. Siegel helped us with this. The brain processes the negative first. Mm -hmm. And so if we are living our lives going from one thing to the other thing to the other thing and not taking space for time or not taking space for ourselves or for contemplation, then we're, we're always just deflecting negative. Yeah. We're noticing the negative and processing the negative. But when we take space and quiet, if you want to call it med meditation or stillness, or just like you taking a nice mindful walk without having to talk, then you can process meaning. But you can't process meaning until you have that space to do so. Mm -hmm. So for those of us who are constantly looking for meaning in our overproduct productive lives, mm -hmm. like where we're like, well, I'm going to feel better once I answer these emails and then I'm going to move to this and then I'm going to pick these kids up and I'm going to find that good feeling. You're just constantly thwarting negativity. Mm -hmm. You're like dealing with what has to be done and then trying to deal with whatever challenges. But when you can sit in quiet or have quiet, you start to, like you did, you called it a weird, weird spiritual place. You found connection. I found connection. I was, and what's funny is we weren't too far away from this frozen lake where there were snowmobilers out there. Yeah. And they were uh, – it was disrupting my experience. And yeah. I was like getting mad at them even though I love snowmobiling. It's so right. funny how I'm in this spiritual, magical place in my mind and all of a sudden a snowmobiler drives by and all of a sudden I'm mad at somebody right. for doing something that I would do. When that's an awesome mindfulness practice is recognizing how they annoyed you right. and separating from that thought like – one that's a great mindfulness teaching for me is I sit in our room and usually, you know, Mr. T will snow blow or, you that's know, our neighbor. that's our neighbor. People who've been listening a long time know. know who Mr. T is. Um, but some, there'll be a loud noise while I'm upstairs. And I realize as Thich Nhat Hanh taught us, that's part of the practice yeah. is you have to get disruptions to notice how you interpret them. Yeah. Do you then say, well, okay, they Forget just screwed it. up my yeah. mindfulness. Or do you say, oh, Look how angry I got when that snowblower came on because that is a metaphor for what happens in your life. We're going to go on vacation. Oh, but my kid got sick. Everything's ruined versus I'm on vacation, but I'm going to deal with this thing that's happening right now because I can. Right. Just like I'm in, I'm in mindfulness practice, but I'm going to deal with Mr. T's snowblower. Like it's, it's, it's metaphorical for life. Um, on my way back from the marsh walk that we did, uh -huh. I slipped on ice and hit oh. my hit my head about as hard as I've ever hit it. You didn't tell me that. I forgot to. I thought I was my bell got rung, but I was fine. But anyways, <laughs> oh my gosh, what do you do? You mean like you did you get knocked I, out? No, no, I was dizzy, but I was fine. Oh. I know, but it's so funny. Like you know, talk about two extremes. Like I'm totally like one with nature, and then I fall on my ass. Well, now <laughs> did people my, help you? Like what? Chris happened? came back. Lozier came back and said, "You're right, dude," because he heard it. He didn't see it because he was oh. about twenty steps ahead of me. And then, did you have any repercussions afterwards? No, like, no. Do you have a concussion? No, but I was worried in that moment. Like that could be really bad, but I, I was fine. Okay, like when Skylar hit her head that one time? Yes. Oh, my gosh, it was so bad. Yeah, not as bad as JC. JC puked. Oh, yeah, she puked. She hit her head so hard. That was weird. It's so scary when someone hits their head. Yes, it is. It, you know, to have that brain in there. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so scary. And usually they'll say, well, they're fine now, mm -hmm. but you got to watch them. Yeah. And I'm always like, ah, 
Yeah, right. How do I do that? Don't be nervous, but just be very nervous. <laughs> be very nervous. And it's just, you know, it's scary. So let's go to our listener's question. Okay. Kathy and Todd, I have a four and a half year old daughter who is very tuned in and sensitive to others. Lately, she's been sticking her tongue out with, sp- with spitting towards us whenever she feels thwarted. Mm. Oh, boy. My husband and I tell her how it makes us feel, but she meets us with opposition. Is there a tool we can use that can change this behavior? We're at a loss as to what to do and need your insight. We don't believe in meeting anger with anger and want to help her express her feelings. Thanks, guys. Oh, and Lauren gave me permission to use her name. So thank you, Lauren. Okay, I have a thought. Go ahead. So really what's happening is, like she said, my daughter's being thwarted, whatever that means. I think she's trying to say that maybe they're telling her no or she can't do something. And so to express herself, she's sticking out her tongue and spitting because her feelings are coming up and she needs to release them. We were just talking about emotion as an energy in motion. So instead of trying to say don't do that or that's not okay, um, which it sounds like they're already very highly conscious of what – you know, choices they want to make. So I want to give them lots of credit for that. But is to say, okay, so you're mad. I understand you're mad. Let's come up with something new you can do to show or to feel that mad. Give her another tool. Give her another, not even a tool. Give her, make up something. Have her be creative with it. Like maybe you clap your hands a bunch of times or maybe you pretend that you have ears or that you're a unicorn or that you start, you know, I don't know, like see what she comes up with. But what you're telling her is the expression of emotion is fine. But the spitting, the spitting at us part, we can't hear you or help you when you're spitting at us. But if you just do something else, that's a little more um, something that your dad and I can really hear and, and understand Mm -hmm. and relate to and not be offended by, then you're going to get your needs met. Then we can process through your anger. Right. You know what I mean? It, it's it's really no different than a child hitting when they get mad. And you say, okay, the mad is fine. Right. But the hitting is not going to work because not only are you hurting my feelings, but you're hurting my body. Right. So I can't really help you because you're hurting me. But when you get mad, here's some other things you can do instead. Or what do you think you can do instead? Right. So you're not really taking away the mad. You're taking away the the spitting. The action. Yeah. And it may take her a while to figure out something else. Like saying this to her isn't going to change everything overnight. But you say to her, you're going to get – you say this in a child-appropriate way. You're going to get better outcomes Mm -hmm. if you find another way to do this. Or like no TV for you. Like you can – you can say that, no TV for you tonight, even though this kid's four and a half. Maybe she doesn't even watch TV. Or you could say, well, we can't have any TV time if – I see that you're not listening. You know, mm-hmm. that's a different energy, wouldn't you say? Well, absolutely. That's the thing is there's not a lot of information in right. that, you know, so I'm just focusing on the basic language. But so what you're saying is the TV time has nothing to do with the spitting and the tongue being stuck No, out. yeah. I'm, I'm more like, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, you might call it behavior modification, but the energy that you bring or exactly what you say to the person. When to they're, the, child, the, the thwarting that she's talking yeah, about. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you can say, well, we can't do that unless I know that you're kind of listening and you're tuned in. Or the other way around. As soon as you can do this, you can have TV. Yeah, right. You know, t- I'm not going to take away TV from you. Right. But I can't even start that process until this is done. Right. And, you know, you're just – the thing is, is this is what Todd and I always talk about, about with this is not permissiveness. What you're doing is you're trying to engage your child in a way that they can hear you rather than go to 
war with them about it, right. with about who's right or who's wrong or who's better. Because yes, you are bigger, mm-hmm. but you are going to harm the relationship if everything is about do as I say, don't ask questions. Right. Because they have every right to say, well, I don't want to do this right now. Well, okay, you don't have to, but then you won't have TV. Because the way that this, you know, it's kind of like what I say to the girls. I mean, one of our daughters actually needs a little break after school. So she's taught us that I will do homework, but I need to do this first. Um, But then, you know, but you can't do any technology or any of this until homework is done. And so that's fine if you need to take a break, but don't expect to run off and go on a play date until this is done. And it's not said in a disrespectful way. It's very matter of fact. It's just that's kind of the way it is. Right. All right. Um, Tournament of bad. Tournament of bad. Tournament of bad. Do you have any, or would you like me to go? Go ahead. I don't like pistachio nuts that don't have a cut in them. Oh, it's brutal. Does anybody do anything with the uncut pistachio nut? Because I throw them away. I, I throw them away, too. I don't, and, you know, we have a very fixed mindset about those what pistachio nuts. Well, we just assume that it can't be opened. I know it can be open, but what a pain. You know, I've got a tournament of bat along the same lines. Let's hear it. Avocados that are not ripe enough to peel the the skin off of it. Mm. The other day I was making guacamole and I was peeling the skin off. I think it's off. called guacamole, it's sweetie. Guacamole. Oh. I was peeling the skin off of it and a a piece of the skin went under my nail and it hurt so bad. I think a tournament of bad. Tournament of bad. Tournament of bad. Terminal bad is whenever anything goes too oh. far underneath you. I think that's like a uh, like torture it's, stuff. It's so when painful. They put something underneath your fingernails. It is, and then so think about this, Todd. So I had to peel the rest of the avocados, and it killed. And then I had to squeeze lime juice, Ooh. so like citrus got under my nail. It was like the most painful, yeah. like guacamole making I've ever had. All right, um, so let's promote, sweetie. Okay. Uh, this is, I think, going to be our last promote for the Mask You Live In, right? Yes, it is. Mask you or live no, in. the following week, that Tuesday. Tuesday, right. But really, we're at the, the end of this. This is the home stretch. Home stretch of this promotion. March 11th, York Theater, um, Mask You Live In. Get tickets at kathyseadams.com or zenparentingradio.com. Also get my book, Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, or the Self-Aware Parent 1 or the Self-Aware Parent 2. And always remember that the best way to stay connected to Zen Parenting Radio, if you're a fan, and my guess is you are because we're 38 minutes in, <laughs> is by subscribing to us on our website. On the right-hand side, it says subscribe, subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio. That way, whenever we have anything new, it'll come right to your inbox. So that's really the best way of doing that. So that's your um, actionable item for this podcast. Actionable. Anything else, sweetie? No. I'm all done. I'm talked out. Um, Don't forget to use our Amazon link and write us a review on iTunes and just tell one friend. That's your other actionable item. That's right. And I've got a words of wisdom. Let's hear it. Empathy and compassion are a lot more powerful than aggression. And I have one. Okay. And it's not going to be what you think it is. I know it's going to be keep trucking. It's not going to be keep trucking. Okay, what is it? Just be cool, man. Oh, jeez. Just be cool. You know what that's from, everybody? Have we ever told everybody? Uh, I don't even know what it's from. Oh, no. I keep thinking it's from Almost Famous, but it's not because he says, says the other thing. Just make, just make us look cool just or make, something like yeah, that. Yeah, but then the guy who Philip Seymour Hoffman plays, yeah. he's, he tells him to not be cool. Yeah. He says you're just not cool. Right. I know you. You're, you're not uncool. Oh, he's like, of course I'm home. I'm, well, I'm uncool. I'm uncool. <laughs> Almost Famous. That's one for the book. That's, that's in the top five, sweetie. My top five. One of the top 20 of the top <laughs> fives that Kathy likes. I realized that, sorry, we're still talking. That one of my favorite movies that I never talk about on this show. We talked through this music. That's awesome. 
um, is Billy Elliot. Bali. I love Billy Elliot. It's probably one of my top three favorite movies, and we've never talked about it on this show. Maybe we'll have to. We're going to have to bring Billy Elliot quotes next time we do a show. I know. Should we put the music back on? No. (laughs) This is like the end of Ferris Bueller. (laughs) And he's like, you're still here? Go home. Go home. (laughs) See ya. Bye.